We're going to be talking about Ted Lasso today. Kathy, why do you think Ted Lasso is interesting for lessons in leadership and adult development? The first time through, I just watched it as entertainment. But the more I thought about it, I realized that the characters, the situations, the plots, there's a lot going on there that has to do with people's ability to learn, people's ability to lead. In the course of the show, do you think any lessons are learned? We're talking about the pilot today, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about. Well, before we do that, let's tell the people who we are. I'm Kathy Buckman. And I'm Mike Merrill, and this is Lasso Lessons. Coming up, season one, episode one of Ted Lasso, the pilot. Season one, episode one of Ted Lasso is the pilot. It opens with shots of a seemingly skilled football team practicing to the Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen. As the music jarringly slows to no future for me, the camera settles on the face of Rebecca Walton, the owner of the club, the fictional FC Richmond. Her office is being deprived of its furnishings, and we learn that she has recently separated from her philandering husband. She summarily fires the team's coach, and we soon learn that she has hired an American football coach, Ted Lasso. Maybe this is the point where we need to talk about nomenclature. When we say football, what do we mean? Yeah, I said American football that time, though. Okay. So are we going to say football and American football, or are we going to say soccer? We'll figure it out as we go along. I'm sure it won't be confusing at all. <laughs> sure, it will be. <laughs> Lasso and his assistant, Coach Beard, jet from the American heartland to London. They meet Nate Shelley, the team's kit keeper, who brings them to meet Rebecca and Leslie Higgins, her communications director. Rebecca introduces Ted and Coach to the club's long but mediocre history. She immediately thrusts Ted into a press conference where he proves himself not overly familiar with European football, its rules, customs, or history. The press, the community, and the team are all outraged at his lack of understanding. They were already primed to have that reaction. Yeah. Because of his, you know, because of, <laughs> exactly, his obvious lack of experience and suitability for the role. But his performance doesn't help, certainly. It is a disaster. Rebecca seemingly rushes to his defense, pointing out again the mediocrity of the team. But once the press conference is over, she confesses to Higgins that she has hired Ted to burn down the club. To get back at her ex-husband, she wants to destroy the one thing that he loves, FC Richmond. In the locker room, Ted meets members of the team, Roy Kent, the famed but slowing veteran, Jamie Tart, the young stud, and other players from all over the world. When he praises Roy's influence on the team, Roy calls him Ronald McDonald. Once the team has departed, Ted posts a sign that says, Believe. Keely, Jamie's girlfriend, returns to the locker room and helps Ted straighten the sign. Yeah, and, and that's a touching scene, though it's ambiguous to me. Is she hmm. trying to help him or right. is she pranking him a bit? Because the sign doesn't actually end up all that straight. At the end. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of side eye during the scene. And when she first comes back into the locker room, what she sees is Ted taping over a topless picture that JB has of her in his locker. Maybe there's a little bit of ambiguity there. Maybe there's ambivalence as well. Yeah. Who a lot knows? Of but totally. And, but the thing is that it's possible it doesn't actually matter, as we're going to talk about later. Because the real point is how Ted responds. Back at his flat, we see Ted call home and learn that his wife has asked for space. We close on him failing to fall asleep, simply jet lag or actually indicating some of the stresses underneath 
that he seems to hide so well. We end on Make the Music in Your Mouth by Biz Marquis. Rest in power. Rest in power. Jumping into this, I think we see two types of leadership. One from Ted, I would call inclusive, and one from Rebecca, I might call punitive, but complicated. Yeah, I think that's fair. I like the word inclusive for the style of leadership that you see from Ted. I'll tell you more about that because I actually did some research. Oh, some research. Okay, great. All right. So let's talk about inclusivity and Ted. One of the things we see right away is that he gets to know everybody in the organization, outside the organization. He gets to know the driver's name. He insists on knowing Nathan's name, even though Nathan says, no one ever asks me my name, sadly. If you're evaluating this particular episode in terms of what it's saying about leadership, in some ways that might be the most important moment if you're trying to characterize Ted anyway. So what is inclusive leadership? An article that I find useful if you want a good overview on what inclusive leadership is, is titled The Key to Inclusive Leadership. It was published on hbr.org in March of 2020, and its authors are Juliet Bork and Andrea Titus. An organization is considered inclusive if people feel that they are treated fairly and respectfully, if they feel that their contributions are valued and they feel an overall sense of belonging. And obviously we would all want to work for a place that made us feel that way, but it's important because the more people feel included, the more they feel they can speak up. The more people you get speaking up, the more ideas you get. And when people feel that they can speak up and they're listened to, then they show more effort and they feel more commitment. If you scale that up, if you have enough people who are feeling and experiencing that, you can see how organizational performance would improve. So right there, the naming, knowing everyone's name, what does that tick off in the inclusive leadership checklist? Here's the kicker. In the research that this article was citing, the single most important factor in whether people feel included is how leaders behave. Mm -hmm. There's no factor more important than that for making an organization inclusive. So Ted here, he's the new leader, by asking Nathan for his name and making a point of really seeing him and hearing him, this is clearly an effort intentionally on Ted's part to make Nate feel like he is part of the group that matters. Yeah. And then he goes on a little bit later after Nate provides a sports drink, he praises the sports drink. And this is a great example of making sure that people feel their contribution matters. The next item on the inclusive leadership checklist. Yeah. And the funny thing is it just feels so authentic and natural and you don't get the sense that he's really reaching for it. It made me think, yeah, the sports drink is actually kind of important. And the person who makes it is making a contribution and it all has to be there for the players to perform well. And we'll see in future episodes how important actual physical consumption is to the story of Mm -hmm. uh, Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. So tries to reach out to Roy, right? He tries to make Roy feel seen. He praises Roy's leadership on the team and (laughs) Roy is having none of it. Right. Yeah. Comes comes back with a stereotypical American categorization as Ronald McDonald. Literally calls him an American clown. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I, I think that the fact that Ted doesn't react is sort of the point here. You make yourself somewhat vulnerable as a leader 
if you're going to have this inclusive and affirming style and reach out to people, you put yourself in the position where they can reject you. In this case, it's even worse. He gets insulted. But I think that's what makes Ted tick, is that willingness to be vulnerable. One other thing I'd note is the way that the series shoots Ted. They frames him in tandem with other people. He's often seen side by side. He's often seen shaking hands or otherwise greeting people as an equal. Yeah, completely. And that brings us back to the Keeley point we were discussing ah, earlier. Yes, Keeley. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... The fact that she offers to help him with the banner and the fact that he accepts the help with the banner is another additional point illustrating the style of leadership he has. He doesn't want to appear in control. He doesn't need to appear in control. He doesn't have to do things on his own. He is willing to allow other people to make their contributions. And so that shot with him and Keeley working on the banner, it works the way you're describing. It's a shot where the camera frames them together to indicate that the relationship is something that's important and is getting off to a good start. Yeah. And it clearly foreshadows a lot of the ways in which they will work together later in the series. Another interesting conundrum that the pilot sets up is the questions around transferability of leadership skills. And are there different kinds of leadership skills? Lasso, he, as we noted, knows very little about European football. He knows nothing about this club. He knows nothing about the players. He knows nothing about the game. He knows nothing about the rules. He knows nothing about coaching European football. And he doesn't seem massively interested in learning off the bat. He spends the entirety of the flight reading Kerouac. We'll find out that he knows very little about European culture, about Britain. He's always drawing upon Coach Beard. Now, Coach Beard spends the flight reading Inverting the Pyramid, which is a history of European football tactics. Yes, it is. And and that makes sense for Coach Beard that he's studying up on this unfamiliar sport. The thing that jumped out at me, though, when I saw that title was that there's an echo here, just in the title, Inverting the Pyramid, to a leadership concept. I'm not sure if this is intended or not, but it definitely matches the things we've been picking up on. So In classic organizational thinking, organizations are often pictured as a pyramid. You have one CEO at the top, and then each level of management below the CEO is a little fatter in the sense that there are more people at that level until you get down to the frontline workers. And that's the biggest part of your workforce. So that's thought of as the base of the pyramid. It's natural to think of organizations this way, but it's also very hierarchical. And people have pushed back on this model of thinking about organizations, actually flipped the pyramid upside down and said that it's really better to think about the CEO as supporting the rest of the organization, as being there at the base of this pyramid that's balancing on its tip, and to think of the leader's role as creating the support for the most important people who are those people at the top, the workers, the people who really do things. This to me feels really significant for sports coaching because ultimately what really matters is what the players do. He as a leader of players is really in some ways just there to support them in their performance. Coach Beard, he does know the names, right? He knows that The coach is called a gaffer, pitch for field and training for practice. So he obviously has studied up and he sees himself, I think, playing that role. 
And Ted seems comfortable with this division of duties. I would say that is exactly what you would expect from an inclusive leader. Another element of inclusive leadership is that you acknowledge your own limits and you assume that you can depend upon the skills and the ability of others. In the complex organizations that people work in these days, it is really impossible to be good at everything and to know everything. And so one of the foundations of inclusive leadership is, yeah, don't even try, right? If you can put the right people into the right place in your organization and trust them to support you and essentially get out of their way, that's where success comes from. And that's what I think is the relationship between Ted and Coach Beard. Usually in this kind of design, we expect the leader at least to have a big strategic point. And he says very clearly for him, it's win or lose. And then he has to discover also there's ties. Um, <laughs> win, lose, or tie then. We're only going to find out later what his overall strategic point is. Yeah, I think at this point, we're left to wonder very much like all the characters around him, what exactly is the value that he's bringing? Let's talk a bit about communication styles. Ted communicates usually pretty indirectly. That's what's interesting, right? If we think of him as this archetypical kind of contemporary leader, usually more direct communication is favored, but he actually is indirect in a lot of ways. He speaks in with folks he's sayings. Coach Beard even points out that he speaks in metaphors. He makes a lot of jokes. Now, what's interesting in the jokes sometimes will hint at something deeper. One of the things he says is it's not so much whether or not he believes in ghosts, but whether ghosts believe in themselves. And when we see the sign believe he's putting up and we think about what it means to believe in yourself, obviously he's at least hinting at some deeper meaning. I think that's right. This does feel like a paradox of sorts. If we're analyzing Ted and his style from the vantage point of what's considered good or strong leadership, because most of us really do value clarity and directness from leaders. Nobody wants to be left analyzing some kind of cryptic metaphor. <laughs> you know, I mean, think most right. people would find that very frustrating at work. But I also do think that this is very central to what Ted thinks he is up to with this club and what he thinks of as the singular thing that he brings as a leader. His communication style is all wrapped up with something kind of intentional in how he wants people to experience him and what kind of an effect he wants to have on mm. them. And so let me give you another example, which I think is very similar. So Ted and his dancing, the pilot begins pretty early on showing us a clip of Ted Lasso with his previous sports leadership gig, where he was the coach of an American football team that had won a low level championship. And he's doing the running man and everyone's in a circle around him and the joy on their faces is just it's infectious, right? There's something about the way that Ted affects you with his physical presence, his funny little mustache, his preppy and prim clothing and his physical dancing. It is about the effect that all has on you collectively and how you feel about Ted. That seems to be in some ways the most powerful thing that he brings. So that's pretty good on Ted. Maybe we should talk about Rebecca a little bit. I called her punitive but complicated. How would you characterize her leadership style? I spent a lot of time thinking about this. She's definitely punitive. She might be representing here an older style of leadership that commonly gets called command and control. 
I do think that control is the currency that she's trading. And most of interactions with people demonstrate something you would call manipulation. She's got a game, only she's playing it. She doesn't necessarily reveal her cards and she's putting the pieces where she wants them to be. Controlling is a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, let's just look at some minor little pieces. We see almost immediately the camera settling upon her is she's staring at a painting on her wall and she casually offers it to Higgins. And he points out that it's a Hockney, indicating that it has great value. Then she immediately pulls back and says, you should have taken it then. And this seems to me to be very much how she operates. Yeah, she's lashing out. She's mocking people. She's being deliberately off-putting. And she's obviously making no attempt to establish or advance a relationship. Absolutely. In this particular case, I really think this is indicative of her overall approach. She has something of value, FC Richmond, and she's sort of throwing it away. She's going to throw away this thing of value, much like she offers this Hockney without much thought. Yep. The other example of this, where it gets kind of complicated is when she fires the current coach. She fires him very summarily. And I have to say, at the same time, it seems like he deserves it. He does seem like a misogynist jerk and his shorts clearly are too tight. Yeah, he's got that coming. I think this is important because if we're looking for one dimensional bad boss characters, we are not going to find them in this show. Anybody who's acting in a way that's manipulative and controlling, we're given ample backstory to support why they're behaving that way. And in this case, Rebecca is probably doing what we think needs to be done. Yeah, that's a good point. The way she does is maybe more abrupt than needs be, but not completely unjustified. Her treatment of Higgins, as we suggested, is less justified, it seems. She introduces him as her current communications director. And of course, that immediately pricks up his ears because he knows Rebecca and he thinks, oh my gosh, this means I'm going to get fired. What it actually means is that she has another plan for him altogether to officially promote him. But again, as part of a manipulative plan to get him kind of under her wing and on board with the overarching scheme to position Ted in a bad spot. Yeah, completely. This is ultimately evidence of her self-orientation, that this leadership style, in addition to being highly controlling, manipulative, is also completely oriented around her own agenda. And again, interestingly, the way she is often framed, she's either shown separately and distinctly from other people and or she's kind of in the forefront while someone's in the background or focuses on someone else while she's in the... She isn't shown side by side. She's shown disjointedly from other people. The sort of lonely, pensive, looking out the window framing is what I think of when I try to picture her. We're standing 20 feet from Higgins while he kind of sways in the breeze of her whims, trying to figure out where he should alight himself. Important. We might facilely assume that Rebecca's leadership style does indicate that recent trauma, the dissipation of her marriage. But what we discover is that, in fact, Ted is undergoing a similar, if less dramatic and less tabloidy version, where he is, in fact, being asked for space by his wife. What we discover is that there are both undergoing some similar forms of hurt, and yet their expression of it seemed to be distinct. Certainly in TV shows, but also in our day-to-day lives, we 
associate trauma with being damaged and expressing that damage through your leadership. Why is Rebecca acting this way? One of our answers is, well, because of her husband. And, and that certainly is true. We do know, in fact, that she has compounded this scheme specifically to hurt her husband. But Ted is not responding in the same way. He's not turning his back on his inclusive leadership. It certainly complicates the picture that we are starting to draw in our heads where we have Rebecca on the one side as the bad controlling manager. And of, of course she's unhappy. And of course she had an unhappy marriage and Ted on the other side as the sort of happy warrior who is friendly and inclusive to everyone. And therefore he should have a happy marriage, right? I think what it's doing is it's frustrating our expectations and the emotional currents of this show are not going to be quite as simple as we might want. So you think it's a challenge to our sense-making? Yes, somewhat. Relationships are very much a theme of the show, as I'm sure we'll talk about. With episodes to come, relationships are important. They're crucial. They are what make organizations. They're what make meaning, but they are really difficult. And complicated. Exactly. And our tendency to want to draw too straight a line from episode A to consequence B is being frustrated in the show. Yeah, I think so. The ability to draw a direct line from somebody's pain to their behavior, it's tempting to say that's what the theme of the show is, but clearly Ted's got some pain too. So there's got to be more to it than that. I wish we could say it's a mutual learning between Ted and Rebecca, but in many ways over the course of the show, we'll see her style change. We'll see it become more like Ted's. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that is something we need to be looking for because she's set up at such an extreme end of the spectrum that it's almost inevitable that she will change. So that's season one, episode one, the pilot of Ted Lasso. Up next, we have episode two, Biscuits. In this tasty sounding episode, we'll find out how Ted works from the bottom up to satisfy the needs of his club. 